When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your Twitter feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Vivi Ganeshananthan, author of the novel Love Marriage. And I'm Whitney Terrell, author of the novel The Good Lieutenant. And you're the winner of... I am the winner of... no... nothing. Actually, you know what? That's what we wrote down here, but I actually realized that I did win an award. (gasps) I did. Well, what is it? it is. It's right here. Now, the people who watch us on YouTube can see. It's always behind me. It is the William Rockhill Nelson Award. This is when the Kansas City Star had a fiction award. This award no longer exists. So it's a, it's a very rare award to win. And I won it in 2006 for my novel, The King of Kings County. Wait, and who's And face- that's... Who's William Rockhill that? Nelson, he's the founder of the of the Kansas City Star. Ah. And and I won a, also won a Missouri Library Association award that year too. It was a big year for me. All right, so Whitney Terrell winner all around. Um but we know that it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Uh, or that is also, in my opinion, maybe a sentence designed to trick people living in capitalism into thinking that they are not living in capitalism. We are definitely living in capitalism. So I often admire books that win awards like yours, um, and this is news to me. Anyway, um, and there are some where I trust the judging so much that I like. Just I mean, it always... changed my life. The Missouri Library Association <laughs> Award. It was really the speaking engagements were astonishing. After that, I mean, I love a library. Who who reads? I mean, it's like people who love libraries, and yeah. I do anyway. appreciate. I, I was look. I'm thankful. That's the only awards that I have ever won for my books. And it's also true that every year there are some books that I absolutely love that I feel like are overlooked. And so, I mean, I think, you know, it's already coming up right here, our our episode topic. How should we think about prizes, both as readers and as writers? How do they work? They work in mysterious ways, and yet they impact people's careers. They do. I just want to say, I think that all, well, your book should have won awards, and I hope your next one does. So that's what I feel about your, that's how I feel about you, Sugi. <laughs> Thank you. We have some terrific guests here to talk about this with us today. But first, we have a big announcement. We're going to become a weekly show. Instead of coming out every two weeks, we're going to come out every week on Thursdays. And we're going to start with this episode. So the first half of our conversation about literary awards, we will speak with Susan Choi and Oscar Villalone, who will give us their take on awards as a novelist and critics and a critic. And next week, we'll continue the conversation with Randall Mann, who will talk to us about the significance of awards in the poetry world. So we thought we'd start our episode today on awards by reading a couple of the nominee lists since we're talking to you at a moment when the literary world is abuzz with these announcements. This is our news peg, you know, is that the National Book Critics Circle recently announced their award finalists um, and their and their winners will be announced in March. And for the NBCCs, the nominees for fiction are Joshua Cohen for the book The Net Not Yahoos, Rachel Cusk for second place, Sarah Hall for Burnt Coat, Honoré Fanon Jeffers for The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. 
And Penn Faulkner and Penn America have announced their nominees for major awards, too, with the winners to be announced in May and later this month, respectively. So I'm going to mention nominees from just one Penn category here, since Oscar, who judged this prize, is joining us today as a guest. Uh, And so for the Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize for Debut Short Story Collection, which is $25,000, the nominees are Skinship Stories by Yoon Choi. Eat the Mouth That Feeds You, Caribbean Fragosa, Milk, Blood, Heat by Dantiel W. Muniz, Objects of Desire, Stories by Claire Sestinovich, and Give My Love to the Savages, Stories by Chris Stuck. What a great list. And also some very cool names on there, by the way. I mean, I would like to be named Caribbean. Whitney is a cool name, but not as cool as Caribbean. I think that there are like a lot of good book titles. I feel like I'm, as a person who's recently been engaged in the thoughts of what are good book titles, I feel that I see many here that are well-named. Yeah. Uh, Penn has several other fiction and nonfiction and open genre categories too. Congratulations to all the nominees and to others chosen in other categories. You can find the full list on the NBCC and Penn and Penn Faulkner websites, and we'll be linking to those. And now we're excited to welcome our guests. Susan Choi is the author of the novels My Education, A Person of Interest, American Woman, and The Foreign Student. Her work has been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and the Penn Faulkner Award and winner of the Penn W.G. Zabald Award and the Asian American Literary Award for Fiction. A recipient of fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Guggenheim Foundation, she won the 2019 National Book Award for her novel Trust Exercise. She teaches fiction writing at Yale and is on Penn's Board of Trustees. She last spoke with us around the beginning of the pandemic. Susan, it's great to have you with us again. It's great to be back. And Oscar Villalon is the managing editor of the literary magazine Ziziva and a contributing editor for Literary Hub. His writing has appeared in Freeman's, the Virginia Quarterly Review, The Believer, Literary Hub, and other publications. And in the anthology, There's a Revolution Outside, My Love, Letters from a Crisis. A former board member of the National Book Critics Circle and former book editor for the San Francisco Chronicle, he was the chair for the 2021 Pulitzer Prize Fiction Jury. He is our first ever three-time fiction nonfiction guest. Oscar, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, Three times, my lord. I'm a judge for the New York Public Library's Young Lions Fiction Award. I've been doing it for, I don't know, more than a decade now, which I enjoy doing. Um, Oscar, you've judged literary awards frequently including, as we mentioned, the Pulitzer Jury for Fiction. And you've presumably done judging for Penn since you're on the jury for the Penn Bingham Prize. How did you get started doing that? And what keeps you coming back to having to read gigantic crates of books? Well, people keep asking me. <laughs> that basically, I, that's basically... That's I feel like the key is like being boils, willing to do it is how you get on a jury. Yes, yes, because uh, I'm sure we'll get into this later. It's a ton of work. But for me, it started off when I was the book editor at the Chronicle, uh, which made a lot more sense because I was reading all the new books coming in anyway. I had to be familiar with everything just to sign them out for review. So it started way back then, actually with the, with the California Book Award uh, that the Commonwealth Club administers out here. And then, you know, just in the process of doing that, um, I, I guess I was just always available. And, uh, you know, so they would ask and I would say yes. And, of course, the National Book Critics Circle, as soon as you, you get elected to the board there, then, you know, the responsibilities is uh, judging. Susan, I know you've also judged. So this question is, I guess, sort of for all three of you, since this is, I'm I'm a little bit outside this experience and I'm super curious. It is a creative books. It is a huge amount of work. How many books are you reading? How fast are you reading? How on earth do you judge books reading them that fast? Susan, I wonder if we can start with you. 
Oh my God. Well, I, so first of all, I have to say I've done less of this than Oscar has. And uh, it might be because I don't, it might be because of what you're asking. <clears throat> I'm not that fast of a reader and I'm not good at not reading. So, um, by which I mean, I don't know if there's a world in which people doing this kind of judging, for example, don't read all of every book. Um, I guess that's a, that's something that we could ask. Never, Oscar no, about, but, that would, I, I would never do that. But you know, <laughs> I, mean, I have I, never I'm, done that. I'm, no. I'm sure that never no, ever no, happens. No. But uh, I, you know, I I can either I can either read a whole book or I can read part of a book and conclude that I don't like the book enough to finish it. But I can't do the third thing, which is to familiarize myself sufficiently with an entire book without reading the entire book, which I think is a skill that some people possess that I do not possess. Um, and so it's really challenging. I I was a judge for a book prize last year, and it was an incredible experience because the books were so good. But um, our shortlist was was twenty seven books, and you know I read them, and it took me <laughs> it took me like half the year. I mean, I think I got the box in May, and I was still reading in October. I did not read anything else, and um, and. It was gratifying, but it was really hard because I'm just, I'm not a fast reader. So Oscar, how about you? Uh, well, again, um, it wasn't so bad when I was the, in terms of how much, okay, so back in, a, it takes up a lot of time. It's essentially a part-time job, depending on the scope of the award. Uh, for this year, for the um, the Dow Award, uh, you know, for the Panda, it wasn't so bad, only because the category is relatively narrow, you know. Uh, first time story collections, you know, story collections by emerging writers, first first books essentially. So you're not dealing with too much, and that's very manageable. Um, but uh, you know, when you start doing the Pulitzers, you're doing you know dozens and dozens of books. Um, you know, you more or less uh, you you try to read every single one. So the way the way it kind of works is this, like at least for me, um, the first let's say fifteen or twenty titles you pretty much read through. But then you're sort of building a base of comparison. So once you, after you've been through 15 or 20, you kind of, you know, like, well, this is really good. Or this is maybe not as good. So that as you go deeper and deeper into the list, you have something to compare it to. So if you're reading something and after, let's say, halfway through, it's just not up to par for something you've already read that you know is, is superior in some given way, then you can kind of set it aside and go, okay, because I, I know what I'm working with. So you have to kind of, but when you go in, you have to dive in. You pretty much just read everything until you have, you know, a, a, a set to compare things to, which I've already said. Um, it's a lot of work. Uh, again, when I was doing it, when I was the book editor of the Chronicle, not as much because I was reading those books anyway. That was my job, essentially. So it's like, sure, I'm already doing this. I'm happy then, you know, to uh, to weigh in. Um, the further afield you get from that, um, the more of a time commitment it, it, it is. It's it's. It's a, I mean, like, to me, it's more or less, you know, it's like doing your duty as a literary citizen because it's <laughs> money's not there. <laughs> okay, you're not going to get well compensated for this. But it's sort of like it's saying, like, okay, you know what? It's my turn to sort of – and it is a sacrifice, a sacrifice a bunch of time and, you know, and put in the work and, you know, and try to uh, – uh, well, you know – uh, try to help our community, try to bolster it, and um, and be of service. I found the 
what I, I would be interested to know what your experiences on the panels were like, because what the what, the way the New York Public Library Award works, and we modeled, we have a new award that my university and the Kansas City Public Library is doing called the Maya Angelou Book Award for a writer who's had a commitment to social justice. The New York Public Library Award is the Young Lions Award, so it's writers under 35, so there's a limit there as well. But we have a first round, which is just a yes or no, right? And then mm-hmm. there's a second round where you're giving the book a score from one to five. And having been on the committee for a bunch of years helps because in the end, we're going to pick the Readers Committee and the New York Public Library picks five finalists. And then there's another judge that picks the winner. And so you can tell, okay, I like this book, but it's not going to be a finalist at a certain point, you know. Mm -hmm. And that helps winnow things out, I think. And then you want to try to score. And you can see also other books on the list that maybe you didn't get because you don't read all of the books for all the award. There's enough judges that it sort of overlaps. I don't know if that's how it works on your committees. Mm -hmm. but So you're reading some of the books, but not all of the books. And so there's often these weird discussions in the full committee when it meets, like, well, I didn't read that one. Do you think it's that much better than this one? And then you try to find people who have, have read the same book. I, I don't know if you've experienced discussions like that, but that's one interesting facet of the New York Public Library thing. It, it helps to do division of labor, um, particularly with something huge like the Pulitzers, where it's like, I'll take these 20 titles, you take those 20 titles, and then we share notes. And then, you know, because at the end of the day, it's by committee. You have to trust each other. You know, you really you have to trust each other and you trust each other's taste so that, you know, um, so that you know, and again, you know, at some point you have to sleep. We all have jobs and we, we, and we have families or and if not, we certainly definitely hopefully have significant others. We have things going on. We, we have to do laundry at some well, point. Speak for yourself. So, well, at some point, I didn't say you had to do it right away, but at some point. So, you know, you, there's a division of labor and you trust each other. It's almost like law school, like 1L, you know, where you're saying, okay, you, you take that section. I take this section. And then we cram, we get back together and like, okay, synopsis. How was this? How was this? How was this? Which, which do you recommend to the rest of the group? And, you, and so forth. And that's how you go. You, you try to create some sort of process. Like, I mean, in a perfect world, you know, it would, it would be, these things would be fun in such a way that you could take a year off. You know, and that is your job. You know, and someone comes up with the money and says, here is what you need, because we understand that, you know, uh, you're, you're, uh, uh, you're not a robot. So here's, uh, you know, here's enough money so that, or at the very least, it's a part-time job. So that you can, you can, you know, not that you're not already doing that commitment already, because you are, but at least this way, um, you know, you don't feel like you're uh, 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 frayed. I think what you're saying you know, is the winners the get cash prizes. Why can't the judges get cash prizes? I, I, that's what I'd like to know. Well, I mean, it's not, it's a, it is an interesting question. It is a very, very interesting question because it does raise um, uh, uh, the subject of, well, who can afford to judge? Yeah. You know, um, you know that's, that's not something that's, that's minor, I don't think. Uh, you know, are we getting a wide enough uh, pool of, of judges or people or, or I should say candidates to be judges? I mean, that's that's another question. There's all sorts of things wrapped up around this. You know, um, it, for me personally, I always do it because, look, you know, setting aside, you know, the you know, the, the that I come from the sort of this journalism background for all my years working in newspapers before I got into hardcore literary guy, you know, um, you're setting that aside, you know, like for me, it becomes something about, well, you know, there's not going to be a ton of judges, 
with necessarily my background, you know, working class uh, Mexican-American, right? There's not going to be a ton of that. So I feel, you know, almost compelled uh, to do these things when I'm asked because I know that sort of representation will otherwise may not be there, right? So it's like, you know, and, uh, and, and there's no sense or, or there's no uh, uh, um, certainty that somebody like me will be asked if I say no, you see? So you say yes because you, you do feel that sort of, uh, of obligation. Um, so, you know, the money, whatever, regardless, I would still probably do it because I would think it'd be important. Yes, it is important to have, you know, uh, a blue collar, you know, Chicano from SoCal as a, as a judge, or as a, excuse me, yeah, as a, on the jury for the Pulitzer Prize. That is important, you know, and I don't know if they're going to find anyone else past me. So, you know, uh, I say yes. What about you, Susan? Why do you say yes? I, I, I mean, I have reasons that I say yes, but I actually wanted to go back to something Oscar said that was really intriguing to me when we were talking about division of labor, if I could yeah. just back up a minute, because, you know, Oscar, you talked about needing to trust each other as judges. And this is so interesting to me because one of the things that really, um, that really preoccupies me about these processes is that um, literary taste is so subjective, you know, and there are great books that um, I think their greatness sometimes resides in the fact that some people love them and some people hate them. And so taste is very, very different. It's very divergent. The experience that I had judging this prize last year um, really brought that home to me because, you know, we all read the entire shortlist and there were the books that you just, you sort of knew, and this is not to in any way sort of, denigrate these books remotely but there were the books that you knew everyone was going to love them you just kind of knew you thought like everybody's going to love this book and then there were books that were just as powerful that you knew there are going to be people who absolutely hate this book and then there are going to be people who absolutely love this book and there's not going to be a whole lot of middle ground and um i don't think that that book that's really divisive is anywhere near like less significant than, than that book that's a crowd pleaser, right? So I, how, do you, how do you contend with that? Because in this case, we had all read all of the books. And so those arguments that were inevitable took place in a real way. Um, in other cases, I mean, I, I haven't certainly done as many prizes, Oscar, as you've done, but I, I have a lot of experience jurying um, for fellowships and other things where like it's an analogous situation in which you are faced with, you know, an enormous quantity of really great writing and the stakes are, you know, different kind of stakes, but they're still high. And, you know, there, there's one jury experience that I've done um, numerous times where the pool is divided and each, I guess, quarter or eighth of the applicants are read by two people. And so as a, as a pair, you come up with a short list of manuscripts that you want to advance to the next round. And then it gets to where everyone is reading all of those finalist manuscripts. And even in that situation where I had a reading partner, um, really interesting situations have arisen in which there was something that I thought, oh, this has got to go to the next round. Absolutely. And my partner, whose taste I absolutely agree with on almost every other occasion, says, What? that so you know i'm just i'm just wondering like if you think that we can ever truly divide this labor and sort of 
trust or do you think like stuff's going to fall through the cracks? Because I think stuff is going to fall oh, through the cracks all the time yes. and it does. Yes. And, and that's what I mean by trusting, that you, you're not just given how subjective this is and just given how, you know, uh, not only just subjective in terms of what you're looking for, but then the person who's looking for what their tastes are, given this subjective criteria. Things inevitably will fall in the crack, fall through the cracks. It's, that's just uh, uh, the probability. You know, I was looking, I looked up an article that I was, because I remember this while Susan was talking here, I'm going to read, this is from 1974, New York Times article. All three members of the Pulitzer Prize jury on fiction expressed distress and bewilderment yesterday that their unanimous recommendation for a prize for Thomas Pynchon's Gravity's Rainbow <laughs> had been turned down and that no fiction award was given this year. The three jurors were Benjamin DeMott, Elizabeth Hardwick, and Alfred Kazan. <laughs> what do they know? Yeah, really. <laughs> Come on, those guys. Bunch of rubes. You know. Look. And the um, fact that they agreed, even more suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not I'll even t- the well, only time you know, that's happened with the Pulitzer, of course. It famously happened no, much more no. recently. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, this is very interesting. Well, okay, a couple of things. Um, so one thing, though, that I could t- my experience, though, when you do d- divvy up the labor, is that you always have the asterisk which says that if I see something on your list I really like, and you don't happen... To suggest it, I could bring that up. So, you know, like, you know, because that happens. Sure, like, well, someone, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't, you know, this, you know, uh, juror X comes to the meeting and says, well, you know, these are my, you know, the ones I thought were the best for my grouping. And you're allowed to say, well, you know what? I actually read that one too, but, you know, I, I really liked it. And people are, usually if that happens, people are totally fine with it. Okay, bring it back in. You know, bring it back in. Um, so there is, there's always that. But even then, I mean, there's just stuff, there's just so many books. You know, there's just so many books and, you know, and you'd search high and low. I mean, I don't, we're always going in with the idea of finding the gem, the undiscovered gem, right? That's what you're looking for. Because even if that, that book doesn't win the prize, even if it, if it could just be a finalist, that could, that could be huge, you know, uh, for that author and for, forget the author, for the reading public. For them to know that there's this wonderful thing out there that they may not have otherwise known about. Because, you know, uh, book publicity, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, they're not like Super Bowl ads, okay? So it's really hard, you know, for f- folks to find stuff that they probably should be reading. And since, you know, the thing about the Pulitzer Prize is it, it, it is funky in that sense. Because all you're doing as a jury is you're suggesting the finalists. Like here's, it's like I served you a meal. And you, you have to hope that they, they don't get the meal and say, send it back to the kitchen. But they have, you know, they're allowed to do that. I don't think, I think they may be the only prize that does that. You know, where, the, where the, there's always that possibility where the committee just says, nah, not, you know, I don't care what you guys say. I really wanted fish sticks. And, you know, and you, and you gave me uh, Chateaubriand. That's not what I was down for. Um, this is such an interesting conversation. We are going to take our brief mid-show pause uh, and come right back to this fascinating discussion of how judging happens for literary awards. So we're here with um, Oscar and Susan talking about literary prizes, and we're just having a conversation that I think you know just makes me think about broadly as I kind of always am questions of bias. And um, I'm curious, I'm thinking about the example of Jasmine Ward, who has now won the National Book Award twice for her second and third novel. Um, But the New York Times only reviewed Salvage the Bones after she won the first time. So I'm curious about what you think 
critical reception has to do with awards and how, you know, as you're judging or from the point of view of the writer, how you think about reviews in relation to prizes. Like, I mean, of course, when these stacks of books come to you, you have sometimes maybe heard things about them. These are not blind reads. Um, and then also from the point of view of a writer, like sometimes maybe the feedback you're getting from reviews is not necessarily reflected in prize recognition or maybe attracts. What do you, what do you all think about this? Oh my God. I mean, I think that you just raised so many different things. I don't think, I don't think critical reception and award recognition tracks, um, necessarily. I think that there are countless examples of those things not tracking with each other, but I do think that, you know, um, there's a lot of arbitrariness, unfortunately, in in all of the ways in which the gates are kept in the literary world, in my opinion. And the more elevation you are able to achieve through, you know, often luck, like I think that it has to be admitted that luck plays a huge role and it shouldn't. Awards exist, I think, to counteract such arbitrary forces. And yet they're really... I believe, subject to luck because of just what Oscar said about quantity, that it's just, you know, keep backing up, like keep keep going like up the funnel. It's not just like the number of books that are published every year, but the number of manuscripts that arrive hoping to be published and the number of writers who are out there hoping to complete a manuscript. It's like, there's, there's a lot of contingency at work here. And, um, the higher you get, the easier it gets for you. And a lot of things start reinforcing your good luck. And all of those things are excluding other people. That's something that I think about all the time. You know, if you score a great review, that gets you a certain level of exposure, recognition, that is definitely going to play in on awards panels. I don't care what anyone says. You, We might all seek to judge on the basis of how we feel about the book, but like, we're human. We've heard things. We recognize things. We can't help it. You know, there's, there's all of this, uh, all of this arbitrary stuff going into it. And so I always, you know, feel really consciously that, um, recognition spawns recognition, right? It's like the Jasmine Ward, you know, she, she won that award and the times went, Oh, what? Oh, oops. Yeah. We didn't assign that one. Let's, uh, Oh, we better do I that. And then next time around, <laughs> you know, they've assigned a book of hers and next time they're going to assign the next one, right? It's like the recognition spawns the recognition and each time one writer is receiving that, you know, there's only a certain amount of recognition and that's what's really unfortunate. There's so much less light to be shown on writing than there is writing that deserves to be illuminated and um, and we don't spread it around very well. I know a story about... Did we talk about Stoner when you were on the podcast last time, Oscar? I can't remember. We did a, We did an episode where we talked about John Williams, the novelist, and the book Stoner. Maybe it wasn't in your episode. I can talk about Stoner. John Williams, <laughs> he's a great writer, and he was, but he's a Midwestern guy, and he had zero political connections, you know, in terms of he never went to New York parties. He was not involved in this sort of normal uh, literary world and conversation, and you know, his book, um, Augustus, was not... Re I heard this story from a writer, so I don't know if it's true because the writer <laughs> told it to me, but who knew John Williams and uh, told me that, you know, Williams had said, like, the, the Times had not reviewed Augustus, then it won the National Book Award, and they called him for an interview, and he was like, fuck you. I'm not doing your interview with you. You could have interviewed me before I won the award, but not now, you know? And he went on about his business, which was the kind of attitude that probably isn't going to get you a lot of interviews with the New York Times. But it was, it, you know, it's that sort of same feeling that you know like why why can't why why didn't you notice me before 
you know. I, and I think you've all heard this before, and I think I heard this uh, from, I think Michael Silverblatt from Bookworm says this, not a lot, but every now and then he'll say this on the show. Prizes do not confer value on the book. The book conveys value on the prize. Your prize is only as good as the book is. And uh, I think that's something, you know, I always bear in mind when we're doing this. You know, so the critical reviews, etc., it's fine, whatever. At the end of the day, it really has to be a book that has, you feel, has incredible value as a work of literary art. Because that's the, that's what is going to make, the, the whole point of it, of the prize, is to tell you that this is of a certain caliber. Right? You giving it the prize doesn't make it that caliber. It already has to be that. And I think sometimes, you know, that gets confused. So something like Stoner, yes, exactly. I mean, you know, it tells you, you know, the whiffs tell you more than the hits. Because it sort of says to you, well, you know, what was going on here? You know, think about it. it correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, the Beatles never won a Grammy. I think they got a lifetime achievement. They never won a Grammy. <laughs> Which is why I never watched the Grammys. It's garbage. So I agree with you, Oscar, yeah. that the, the prize doesn't give the book its excellence. However, uh, in terms of the marketplace, in terms of reception, in terms of that writer's career going forward from the moment of that book's publication, it does. I mean, if a, if a book is really, really, really good in the woods and no one reads it, does it matter? You know, and, and I have to say, like, a, a book can be truly excellent, but if it's not recognized, it's not recognized. And that's devastating in a writer's career. And this happens all the time. You know, uh, it, amazing books and amazing writers go unrecognized for their entire careers, as we know. And um, they can be, you know, they can be great works, but they expire and are forgotten because oftentimes they didn't happen to intersect with the award industry, you know, in the award industry, as I said, I think that we do everything we can, but we just don't have that much light to spread around. And if you don't intersect with the work, it can just vanish, great as it might be. Absolutely. But that's what I mean, though, in terms of, you know, finding the book that you think matters. Because, you know, you're going to, in other words, if it's something that, you know, to what you're saying earlier, Susan, something that's very polarizing, but is excellent, and you give it that award, right, you do two things. One, you give value to the award because you picked something that was, you know, singular. And two, now that book has an audience. But more importantly, it's like it's all going to jive. It's all going to, you know, they will reinforce each other. That, you know, you, uh, you, know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's tricky because, I mean, that's, again, you know, so much of this is not only just the luck in terms of finding the book, but the luck of the draw, like who's on the jury, you know, uh, or in the case of the Pulitzer Committee, like, you know, the you know, did everyone have a good breakfast that day? You know, when they, you know, go in and they do their, you know, their final judging. And I'm not talking about the jury. I'm talking about the actual committee, the standing committee that decides, you know, these awards year in and year out. You know, there's, a, there's all these sort of variables, you know. Um, but, it, it, but, you know, this is, a, this is how we live. I mean, we, we you know, we like to believe. Let's, let's put it this way. Think about, like, the Academy Awards. Much way fewer films being released every year compared to books, right? I still haven't watched all those movies. You know, it's like almost <laughs> it's almost impossible, and that just asks me just to sit there and stare at a screen. That's all I got to do. You know, I mean, the controversy 
is part of what people enjoy about the awards, to be perfectly honest. Now, it, there is a sadness in, in, in seeing a, an author who deserves to have gotten recognition and doesn't. There also are times, though, when um, people do. I mean, Jasmine Ward would be an example. And I remember we nominated a guy named, uh, I'm trying to remember, oh, Zachary Mason, who had published a book called The Lost Books of the Odyssey with a really, really tiny, small press in Buffalo, New York. And the New York Public Library made it a finalist. It didn't win, but that book then was republished by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux and got great reviews and was like, you know, we, I think, I feel like we had, some, that was important. You know, we're on the Wikipedia page of that book now. <laughs> you know, that, that, that group, that, that that book got attention because it was nominated and otherwise would have really disappeared, I think. I think that, like, we're also um, talking about, I mean, I can think also of Disha Filia's The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which was published by um, an academic press and landed on a bunch West of- West Virginia University yeah, Press. Yeah, West Virginia yeah. University Press, uh, kind mm-hmm. of crushing it on all the awards lists, actually. And that was a huge joy to watch. But we're talking about luck. And Susan said- you know, there's a limited amount of light in all of these books that deserve to be illuminated, you know, and um, I wonder, like, what what is it that we should be doing to do this better? Because there is this um, I was I was looking up some research about this as a professor at McGill named Richard uh, Jean So, who's been doing research on diversity in publishing. And so there's all this interesting data, like since the turn of the 21st century, literary prize winners have become more diverse. But if you went to like a fancy school, your odds of winning a prize go up significantly. And and the gap is even bigger if you are minoritized, specifically if you're black um, and you've gone to an elite institution, you have like a 13% greater chance of winning a prize. So we're talking about luck, which I think is definitely a factor. I have been the person who has like had the not good breakfast and then gone to read something and been like, that is not the thing that I want to read right now. But there's also like, right, Oscar, you were judging it, you know, who gets asked to judge things, who can afford to judge things. Um, Susan, the first award that you won in your career, if I'm correct, is the, is the Asian American Literary Award for fiction. And we're also talking about like, that was an organization that started in part to disrupt white gatekeeping and publishing. So like, what should we still be doing to push this conversation forward and to do it better? There is, I mean, I don't know how much more light we can produce to shine on all of this work that I agree with you is like, I think there's so much deserving stuff out there, but I feel like, you know, as you're so much of our conversation is also about um, like being the writer who doesn't get the thing. So I feel like we're having an episode and maybe also an existential crisis. <laughs> like, how do we do it better? And then also when we can't, when it doesn't go your way, how do you navigate that as a as a writer? Oh, that's an I mean, that's the easiest question you've asked. It's like you just keep going. I mean, it mostly doesn't go your way, right? It mostly doesn't. Um, but but I think that, you know, sorry to just jump in, Oscar, please um, disrupt me. <laughs> but the one thing I wanted to say is, yeah, the Asian American Literary Award was um, was created at at a moment um, for a specific purpose. And and look at it now, you know, it became it's become this this pedestal that is able to elevate. And every time an award um, is established and manages to kind of stick around it does that. And it, it, every time it actually makes a really big difference, you know, awards that you think like, oh, another award. And then that award makes itself necessary, as Oscar said, by recognizing something really great that might not have been recognized otherwise. And then you think like, oh, how did we survive without this? And I don't think we can have too many of them, frankly. Um, and, you know, just thinking about movies, I want to say one other thing, which is, you know, I know nothing about this industry. Um, and so somebody's going to probably be like, that's ridiculous. But I just, you know, putting the movies next to publishing, one of the things that we're really 
struggling against is, is how few readers there are. You know, are there, we just don't have enough readers reading our books in this culture. People are watching the movies. I mean, there's huge amounts of money at stake with the Academy Awards, but you know what? Movies are getting watched a hell of a lot more than books are getting read. And so I think that that's the problem is that the stakes are so high for us because books are competing to be like, in some cases, I think, you know, maybe somebody can look this up, but the average American reads X number of books a year. It's a small number, I can tell you. Like at one time I knew what this number was. It's a very, very low number. So if you think that every book that comes out is competing to be one of a handful of books (laughs) that a given American reads in a year, that's why these awards become so top heavy with importance because as writers, we just... It's not just that there's very little light to go around. There's very little readers to go around. And, um, and we and need to make more of those, I think, from the bottom up. That's absolutely right. Uh, well, so two things. Uh, uh, I'll get back to what you were just saying, though, Susan. One, there is good news. There are awards, exactly like, like the folks that bestowed one upon you, Susan. There are lots of – Penn West, Penn Oakland has been doing great stuff for years, the Before Columbus Foundation for years. There's a lot of things, and there's smaller stuff too, you know. Normally it's, it's sort of within marginalized groups, but as a whole, you add them up, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff being done already, so it's there. So we're just talking about the, you know, the, the, the wars that may have, uh, that garner more attention. And two, you know, good things do happen every now and then. You know, Paul Harding, right, he won the Pulitzer, you know, for, you know, for Tinkers, with Tiny Press. You know, I mean, you know, there's, yeah. Yeah, but, so this happens. So that it's not, you know, it, so it's not, it's it, it's not uh, as if though you know we're in a completely you know sort of like degraded state. We are, you know, we we have our fits and starts. Um, and but to Susan's point, that is absolutely right. And I'll I'll tell you, it, you know, I'm sure all of us have had this conversation at some point. It's probably been a drunken conversation, but nonetheless, a conversation. People need time to read. Uh, people need uh, living wages to be comfortable to read. Uh, you know, to me, what, what Susan's pointing out, which is absolutely true, I think it's a phenomenon that's connected to two things. One, perhaps how people are educated, and I'm talking here about public schools. But secondly, you need leisure. You can't be working two jobs and expect to be a reader. That's, that's insane. That's not going to happen. You know, w- people need six weeks off. They need like a summer like in France. So you can go and just take a stack of books because you now have time to read. You can enjoy reading. You know, th- this is what we're talking about, you know. Um, who can read in the United States? People who have leisure. Well, who has leisure? Right? I think that's really important. I think, and we'll link to that study that Sugi quoted from the professor at McGill because, you know, it's becoming a class-based issue in some ways, right? Um, who can who can actually afford to be on a committee and do do the work? Or who can afford to read the books? Who can afford to write them? I think that's an important issue and, and isn't going away anytime soon because, as the wealth gap has increased in our country, so has this gap in in the in the world of writing. But we, we've been talking about judging and all of the giving, but we want to at least also have Susan here because. You're a person who won one of these big awards very recently, and we want to know what that feels like, how your life changed. Did you feel better brushing your teeth the next day? Did you float down the stairs? Or was it no better than anything else that has happened in your life? Oh, my God. It was way better than a lot of other things that have happened in my life. Are you kidding? It was awesome. It, it was and remains truly awesome. 
It's been great. And I won't lie. It's been like a game changer in my overall career. And it's made me keenly aware of the other road, right? The, the other road that I expected to be on for my entire career. I mean, you don't start writing with the expectation that you're going to win a major award. You start writing usually because like, for some reason you can't seem to do anything else. It's like not a practical choice. And, you know, I, I, I won the national book award for my fifth novel. I think that admittedly at the very beginning of my career, I I probably did have delusions of grandeur where I was like, wow, I wrote a book. So now like bring all of the, bring all the rewards. I'm ready, you know? And, um, which I think is, is a mistake that any young writer can make because it's so hard. It's really, really hard to write a book. And so when you, when you do it, you're like, okay, I did it. Bring me my stuff. And like, what if the stuff doesn't come? And you're like, oh shit, I, oops, uh, sorry. Um, what if the stuff doesn't come? And you're like, I quit my job. And then you have to go back and ask for your job again, you know, which actually did happen to me. I had sold a book, quit my job, and almost immediately went and asked for it back because I realized like I was an idiot. And just, you know, I, I had not looked past the first book down that really, really long road. And and once I was on that road, I was like, you know what? I write because I love doing it. And I'm so privileged that anybody publishes my books and that anybody reads them. And that's just where you have to be. And you have to be prepared to be there for your whole career. And so getting like elevated so hugely with one of these huge prizes is is incredible, especially especially if, you know, you've been making a career without that kind of recognition. I mean, I, I've enjoyed great critical recognition. I, I have felt incredibly fortunate. And that award was a multiplier, you know? It's, it's open doors that were not open to me. And amazing as that feels to me, it's extremely, it's extremely hard not to constantly be conscious of those doors not opening for other writers in the same way. You know, until the day before I won the National Book Award, I was one of those writers who I worked really hard. I was really proud of my work. My career was was going along just about as well as I ever thought it would. But it was really different afterwards. And there's something deeply unfair about that, I feel. You know, because it it's a bit of a lottery. I don't think anybody ever doesn't <laughs> deserve to get that kind of recognition. I think a whole lot of people do deserve to get it. And they don't. Oscar, I wonder, as someone who's been sitting on the on the other end of this as, as the judge and the critic, um, if you were taking aside a writer at the beginning of their career and trying to help them think about navigating their expectations and their their inner life as they pursue writing that might not reach the top of that pile or arbitrarily might, what would you say? Just 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 imagine it's never going to happen, and just do your work. And if it happens, fantastic. You know, but there's no way you can work towards that. That's, that's, I mean, you might as well say like, well, I mean, just, it's like saying I'm building wealth by playing scratchers. I mean, it could happen, but, you know, I don't like your odds. You know, so, you know, I have a better idea. Just keep your job and then play a scratcher every now and then and let's see what happens. You know, um, it is, I mean, it's, it's just, it's like saying, like anything else in life, it's highly contingent. You might as well say, like, will I find happiness? I don't know. You know, I mean, just uh, just try to be a good person and, you know, do your work. And maybe you'll one day, I don't know, find someone who loves you. I don't know. It could happen. 
But, you know, it's like it's but it's really kind of out of, you know, for, for, to a large degree out of your control. You just have to take care of yourself. Do your work. Do what's important to you, what matters in terms of the work. And the rest happens or it doesn't. And, I mean, to, to Susan's point, that's no reflection on you and on your work. You know, it, it can be very, very good and never be recognized. This has happened so many times. You know, a ton of times. So don't get hung up on that. You know, I, I think you might get hung up on that because, I mean, let's, there is the careerist aspect of writing. And so one of them is if you could win this award, then, you know, obviously that's going to be good for your career. A lot of the good things might be good for your career. But, you know, this is, this is it's, it's a crapshoot, you know. And more importantly, like, what does that even mean? Like, you have to, you have a vision or you should have a vision. You should, you should have a voice. You should have something to say. What it is that you have to say needs to be independent from ever possibly getting an award for it. In fact, let's be honest, they may hate you. They may never want to give you an award because what you're saying is, is uh, just kind of, you know, uh, uh, shakes them up a bit. So, you know, it, you might be going contra that by actually doing what needs to be done, you know, in terms of, of, your, of, your, of your fiction or your poetry or your creative nonfiction, etc. So... Just don't don't worry about that. Just please, just just do the work, and let's see about just getting the book out into the world, and the rest of it we'll you know, we'll, we'll figure out. Thank you. Well, I for one am going to try to take that very good pep talk to heart. And um, readers, we will link to Susan and Oscar's work in our show notes. Don't miss it. And thanks so much to you both. It's a it's a treat to have you with us again, and really a treat to have you also in conversation with each other. Great to be here. Well, thank you. All right, great to talk to both of you. Uh, listeners, tune in next week for the second part of this conversation featuring uh, the poet Randall Mann, who's talking about the role that uh, book awards play in the poetry world. That's it for this episode of the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub. As we mentioned during the show, this is our first episode in which we are going weekly. Tune in next week for the second half of this conversation about literary awards. We'll be discussing awards in the poetry world with poet Randall Mann. This show is produced by Anne Knigendorf. To subscribe to Fiction Nonfiction, please type fiction slash non slash fiction into your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear your ideas and feedback. You can reach us at fictionnonfictionpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at FNF Talk, on Facebook at FNF Pod, and on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast. In each of these places, you'll find links to our LitHub Radio show notes, including some of the readings we mentioned in this episode. You can also find video versions of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Our website, with our full video and audio archive and episodes grouped by theme for educators, is at fnfpodcast.net. See you next week!